You knew it was only a matter of time before we had to revisit this one. Bud Light is known for two things. Cheap beer, mass-produced, and eye-popping ad spends. In terms of beer distribution, they're number one in the industry and it's not even close. In the course of Anheuser-Busch's history, there's very few competitors that they haven't been able to buy up or plow under. If brewing beer was Star Wars, they would be the Galactic Empire. And on Super Bowl Sunday, 2019, Neil Kasky found himself staring up at the Bud Light Death Star. The first thing that crossed my mind was, is there a, a hole that I can crawl in and hide and hope this thing will, will go away? And so, you know, needless to say, none of us were ready to do battle with a multinational big beer behemoth. We first told Neil's story in episode three of this podcast, and it's a good one. But since that initial three-episode launch of this show, a few things have happened. One, we've gotten significantly better at making podcasts. Two, we've learned a whole lot more about this story and added the perspective of Miller Lite's chief communications officer, Adam Collins, to the already impressive list of expert voices in this episode. It wasn't just that they attacked us. They attacked uh, corn farmers. They attacked an American ingredient. I mean, who, who, who attacks American farmers? And three, a whole lot more of you have started listening to Lead Balloon since this episode came out, but you might not have made it all the way back into our archive to catch this one. So don't call it a rerun. This is a remastered version of one of my favorite Lead Balloon episodes, The Bud Light Controversy Revisited, or Part 2, Miller Light Strikes Back. I'm Dusty Weiss from PodCamp Media, and this is Lead Balloon, a podcast about compelling tales from the world of PR, marketing, and branding, told by the well-meaning communications professionals who live them. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the show, just think about the last PR or marketing happy hour that you went to. You know how we've got all those old war stories that we love to tell at those kind of things? Well, Think about Lead Balloon as a portable, virtual version of that, with communications leaders from global brands across all different industries. And if that's the sort of thing that you're into, make sure to follow Lead Balloon in your favorite podcast app, and check out PodCamp Media on social. So I know we opened this episode with a whole lot of Star Wars allegory, and I just want to make it clear that, yes, this story blows up on Bud Light just as spectacularly. In fact, in the trade pubs, this fiasco would come to be known, not at all sarcastically, as the corn syrup wars of 2019. The ensuing battle between Bud Light and Miller Light would cost tens of millions in advertising, uncounted treasure in legal fees, and resulted in an unprecedented ruling in a defamation court case. And in the middle of it all were Neil Kasky and his plucky band of underdog heroes, the National Corn Growers Association. NCGA's VP of Communications, Neil has more than 25 years of comms experience spanning the agency world and Capitol Hill, but he had been in his VP job less than four months when the corn syrup wars touched off. Neil, I want to take you back to February of 2019 here. It was Super Bowl Sunday. That one wound up being a particularly dull affair between an unlovable New England Patriots team and the Rams, who had just moved their team to the unlovable city of Los Angeles. Did you watch this game? Uh, yeah, I, I did, obviously. Um, and uh, I had, had planned on spending the evening having a few Bud Lights and rooting against Dan Kroenke, who uh, had just <laughs> took my Rams away from my city. So that, that was my plan that night. Of course, everyone who's worked in this field can tell you about a time when their plans for a quiet evening in 
were disrupted by something that they saw on TV. It's just, in this case, the disruptors were dressed like refugees from a bad Renaissance fair. Um, my king, this corn syrup was just delivered. That's not ours. We don't brew Bud Light with corn syrup. Miller Light uses corn syrup. Let us take it to them at once. In case you've been living under a rock, the commercials feature the medieval cast of characters Bud Light has been using for some time, playing off the popularity of Game of Thrones. They travel throughout the land trying to deliver a comically overlarge barrel of corn syrup, first to a Miller Light castle, and then to a Coors Light castle. To be clear, we brew Coors Light with corn syrup. Ah. The point in all of this is to highlight that corn syrup is listed as an ingredient in their rivals' beers. And to imply that there's something wrong with that. Which, when you're Neil Kasky from the National Corn Growers, it's going to ruin any plans you had for enjoying a quiet evening of football. The first thing that crossed my mind was, is there a, a hole that I can crawl in and, and uh, hide and hope this thing will, will go away? Because it didn't take long my phone and, and some of my colleagues just started peppering me and others with questions about, you know, what, what are we going to do, right? And so, you know, needless to say, none of us were ready to do battle with a multinational big beer behemoth that evening, but it didn't take too long for me to, to realize that that was my responsibility. Now, fate has a funny way of manifesting in situations like this. And Bud Light didn't realize it yet, but they were about to feel the blowback from this Super Bowl ad and the campaign that it inspired. However, lest I be accused of conflict of interest as the storyteller here, here's my disclosure. When this episode was originally produced, Neil Kasky was just a source I reached out to for comment. My opinion of Bud Light has always been low. I'm a Wisconsin boy for Pete's sake. Milwaukee-based Miller is just a better beer. But in the months that followed the original release of this episode, the National Corn Growers Association actually became our clients here at PodCamp Media. In fact, our longest tenured clients currently, and we love working with them. They've become leading storytellers in the agriculture world over the last three years. What that means for you in this remastered version of the podcast is some new perspectives on what went on that night that we recorded for the National Corn Growers Association podcast. They've given us permission to use it here, and we'll link to their podcast in the episode notes if you want to check out more. But that's where Neil and I got to speak with Adam Collins, the chief communication officer at Molson Coors, which used to be called Miller Coors and is the parent company of Miller Lite and Coors Lite. We wanted to hear his recollections of that week. The night of the Super Bowl, I was uh, supposed to be at a neighbor's house watching the game and enjoying you know, a couple beers. Uh, that's not how my night went. Uh, um, we sort of had an idea that something might be coming. Uh, you know, during the week ahead of the Super Bowl, Anheuser-Busch released their ads for every single brand with the sole exception of Bud Light. Stella, Budweiser, Bon & Viv, everything except for Bud Light, which I thought was notable. There was a reason, right? And then Friday night before the Super Bowl, uh, we saw a single piece of point of sale that had each of the three brands and their ingredients. It didn't say, it didn't have red arrows or anything like that. It didn't have any, just here are the brands and here are the ingredients. So Saturday morning, uh, I was at my uh, two little boys. Uh, I was at indoor baseball for anyone who's got kids. Let's try to find a way to burn off energy in the winter. And I sort of put this together. It's like something's up here, right? So I got on the phone with our leadership and said, we, we need to be ready. We need to figure out what we're going to do because 
I think that these two things are connected, right? So we started putting together a plan for how we might react in that moment, sort of scale up, scale down. But what would we do if they sort of inferred or if they went really hard at us? What would that look like? How would we think about how we're going to respond? We put out an image that try to reframe the conversation back towards something that was positive as opposed to negative. I think there's a, there's a whole conversation around that kind of advertising, uh, but something that was positive and we knew worked for us. Um, so fewer calories, fewer carbs, more taste uh, from the oral light, try to reframe the conversation that we thought if they're going to attack us, this is a good place to be. But boy, I tell you when that, when that, when the ad hit and I was sitting on my bed in my bedroom while everyone else in my family was enjoying the Super Bowl and having fun at the party, sort of shaking my head, right? Because you know, we were as shocked as anybody that Anheuser-Busch would take that path, not just attack us and attack our beers, but attack the ingredients and the uh, great farmers all across the country who, who grow them and make our great beers possible. And it just so happened that about 150 of those farmers were gathered in Denver for a National Corn Growers Association event. And Neil, who had only started his job with the corn growers just a few months earlier, found himself at a bar with them watching a comms crisis blossom in high def. In that moment... Neil realized that NCGA needed to issue a statement before halftime. I think the the biggest thing, aside from my boss looking at me uh, and his son sitting right across the table and wondering, you know, what we're going to do, the biggest thing that was crossing my mind is, what happens if we don't? And we wake up tomorrow with a, a room full of 150 farmers. What are we going to say to them uh, when they realize that they were blindsided by that ad and realize that someone should have done something and then realize that that someone should have been us? Uh, so the biggest thing that was probably uh, driving me was just fear of, of not having a job come Monday. And always an effective motivator uh, as well. For the most part, we wanted to express our disappointment. And and if if nothing else, we wanted Bud Light to to know that, hey, you you crossed the line. We're in the St. Louis agribusiness community together. I mean, we we actually sit in meetings together at luncheons and and just break bread and try to figure out how we can make the St. Louis agribusiness community better. And so that was surprising. And then obviously just the, the fact that they were kind of tearing down corn products and by extension corn farmers you know we had to do something and i think you know we didn't want to go over the top we didn't think that was necessary but we wanted to make sure that they knew we were disappointed with them and then we kind of you know we, we we threw a hail mary and figured we would say hey thanks miller light thanks Coors light for for standing with us so from the national corn growers association twitter account Neil fired back at Bud Light. The statement read, Bud Light, America's corn farmers are disappointed in you. Our office is right down the road. We would love to discuss with you the many benefits of corn. Thanks Miller Light and Coors Light for supporting our industry. With that tweet right there, the proverbial gauntlet was thrown. The battle was joined. And for a brand that professes to bleed red, white, and blue, Crapping on corn farmers is a bad look. Before either team in the football game had even scored a point, the internet was lighting up over this new fight, which, if I'm being honest, was kind of where the action was on that night. And it really erupted when fellas like this guy, Bud Light, you're not standing with corn farmers. We're not standing with you. Started publicly pouring their cans of Bud Light into the bathroom sink on Twitter. They just attacked my product. They just attacked corn directly, and farmers were upset. Farmers were pissed. Kevin Ross is an active member of the National Corn Growers Association from Iowa. 
and not long after his Bud Light protest went viral, would go on to serve as the organization's member president. I was watching the Super Bowl uh, at my seed dealer's shop. I hadn't even had a beer yet uh, watching the game, and that commercial comes on, and then immediately my phone started blowing up with text messages from farmers from all over the country. And uh, immediately Neil calls me up and says, hey, I think we want to respond to this. And uh, <laughs> my reaction was, <laughs> I said, you want to respond to Bud Light? Like, I mean, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, I'm serious. I, I think we need to make a statement here. And I said, well, what are you, what are you thinking? And, and Neil said, well, I, you know, maybe pour out some beer or something. I don't know. And <laughs> so I knew my seat dealer had some beer in the fridge because he'd offered it to me. Bud Light, he only had four of them. <laughs> and, uh, and we did four takes. But I got home that night and crawling into bed and my wife says um you know your videos got like 2000 some views already and i said really i said is that a lot because i honestly <laughs> i was like i don't know i've never never posted a lot of videos before and uh she's like well that's pretty pretty fast and by the time i gone to the bathroom and brushed my teeth and crawled back and you know and actually got in bed she goes there's another thousand on there <laughs> and i was like wow just in the time uh, it took you to brush your teeth yeah but i didn't think much of it and then woke up the next morning and i was you know catching a, a 6 a.m flight i think to denver and by the time i landed in denver though i mean there was like text messages coming in like crazy from buddies of mine all over that are saying you know i saw your video and i knew as soon as i turned my phone on there that holy cow we we hit a home run or this thing went viral or something you know i didn't really know what all the effect was going to be but at that point you knew it was um you know it was pretty big from the moment those tweets were sent the social media blowback against bud light became more entertaining than the game itself i mean it was a pretty awful super bowl but John Doggett, the corn growers CEO and Neil's boss, says it quickly became apparent that their protest was being heard right in the Anheuser-Busch suite at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was at maybe five, ten minutes after we sent the first tweet. I, I got an email from a fairly senior person at AB um, uh, wondering what was going on and, and could we talk? And uh, at that point, I made the decision that it was probably not good for me to talk to him at that time. And we would wait until the next morning because I wasn't happy and uh, I didn't see anything that was going to get done that night that was going to be uh, beneficial to anybody. And I found out that he was at the game with his boss's boss. And, uh, you know, that had to have been a very, very uncomfortable situation yeah. in that suite because they're patting themselves on the back about this great ad. And, and now they're finding out that they've got thousands and thousands of corn farmers around the country who are just mad as they can be. Of course, a little negative social media buzz is inconvenient if you're Anheuser-Busch, but you're also still the world's largest brewing conglomerate. However, even as the football game wound down, the night wasn't over. They say that the biggest mistake that Hitler made in World War II, other than, you know, being Hitler, was attacking Russia on the Eastern Front. This, of course, drove Russia from its neutral stance into an unlikely partnership with the Allies, and that cooperation precipitated Germany's downfall. And a few hours after Super Bowl 53 had ended, just past midnight, as videos of farmers pouring out their Bud Light were circulating on Twitter, Neil Kasky's phone pinged, and another unlikely partnership was born. This one, between the National Corn Growers Association and Molson Coors, parent company of both Miller Lite and Coors Light. 
we were both kind of blindsided by uh, what we saw on TV and both looking for some help. Clearly, when, when you're in a situation like that, looking for friends, the answer was yes. Neil and I got connected at, I, I think it was about two o'clock in the morning, uh, Sunday night into Monday. We got connected up through somebody inside my company who knew somebody inside the corn growers. We didn't sleep a lot that night. We didn't. No. Or for yeah. the next couple of weeks, as yeah. I understand it. But uh, No. Thrust into an unexpected partnership of necessity by a surprise high-profile attack, Adam Collins from Molson Coors, Neil Kasky from the National Corn Growers Association, and their respective teams worked until the early hours of the morning, scheming up a PR and marketing clapback for the ages. The resulting fallout would jump from the trades right to the mainstream media, prompt new high-budget ad spends, and even wind up in court on multiple different occasions. And it would elevate Molson Coors into the saddle as a white knight, riding into a high-profile battle in defense of America's farmers against a sticky, misleading smear campaign. How that all played out, coming up in a minute, here on Let Balloon. Bud Light, corn, syrup. Okay. Did you watch these live when it was uh, on the Super Bowl? I did, yes. Or did you see them after I did. the fact? Okay. I'm sitting at my basement bar with my old buddy Kyle Brown. We're having a couple of brews, as two guys will on a Thursday night, and watching Bud Light ads on an iPad. I brought Kyle in because not only are his credentials as a marketer legit, he's worked for global brands like Harley-Davidson and Kohl's Corp, but he's also an award-winning home brewer. And like me, he takes his beer very seriously. Kyle and I are watching a Bud Light spot that aired on Super Bowl Sunday only like 15 minutes before the spot that touched off the corn syrup war. It's set in the same medieval world with the same characters and features the Bud Knight. He's the mysterious, deep-voiced hero hidden in blue medieval armor who, I guess, is supposed to be the herald of all things Bud Light or something. All right, let's tap this keg. I don't know, it's complicated. Anyway, in this Super Bowl spot, the Bud Knight is riding in a joust against an unseen combatant. The mood is lighthearted and silly, as all these commercials are, until... Bud Knight gets knocked off his horse in a violent clash and thrown to the ground. Suddenly the music changes, the mood shifts, and into the frame strides the mountain, a grotesque giant of a villain from the Game of Thrones series. It's a completely unexpected twist and hands down one of the best commercial crossovers of all time. And just to drive the point home, the mountain straddles the incapacitated Bud Knight crushes his helmet like it's an aluminum can. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, you know that that's the mountain's signature move. Pandemonium breaks out, dragon swoops in breathing fire, and the Game of Thrones music plays. Surprise twist! It wasn't just a Bud Light commercial, but a promo for the final season of the iconic HBO show. Fade to black. You know what I hate? Do you know what I absolutely hate about it? Other than the ending of Game of Thrones? <laughs> Other than that, I hate that the Bud Light corn syrup campaigns came so close on the heels, literally like two commercial breaks, on the heels of that, which I thought was a brilliant commercial. 
That was an incredible crossover, and it had me laughing, and it got me stoked for Game of Thrones, and like I was so pumped up, and and I even had good feelings toward Bud Light after that commercial, uh, which is not typical of me. And then this corn syrup thing came so close on the heels of that and just erased any good vibes that I had about that. Yeah, I, I've actually always loved Bud commercials more than probably any other beer. I've always thought they've been the best from the Budweiser frogs all the way up through. I think they've always done a fantastic job. Um, so agreed. I was super excited about that. I thought it was really well done. They tapped into a very cultural relevant thing. But then the, the corn syrup ad came out and that, that really just dropped me in the completely other direction. Um, not that it changed my bud consumption, which wasn't anything at the time, but, uh, just steered me probably in the complete other direction, even more so against the brand itself. Kyle and I are both in our late 30s and we're men. We are the target demographic for Bud Light's ads. And in my non-scientific poll anyway, the corn syrup campaign did not land. I suspect a big part of that is because it's so shamelessly a smear campaign to the point where it almost feels political. And it turns out, like so many political ads... The corn syrup campaign was completely disingenuous, but I mean, it sounds bad, right? So I wanted to get to the bottom of this and quick. Why would a brewing company put corn syrup in their beer? And so what if they do? And to help me out with those questions, I brought in a ringer. I'm Paul Gatz. I'm a senior vice president of the professional brewing division for the Brewers Association. Started making my own beer at the turn of 1989 to 1990 and uh, started working in a professional brewery, the Boulder Beer, back in 1993. Bought into the ownership of a homebrew supply shop, opened a second one, and then came over to the Brewers Association back in 1998. If there's two things to note about Paul Gatza, it's that he knows beer, and he's been that way since before it was a trendy way to be. But to get to what really bugs me about Bud Light's corn syrup campaign, you've got to go back a lot farther than 1998. You know, going back uh, through brewing heritage, the German beer purity law of 1516, the Reinheitsgebot, established that beer should be made with barley, water, and hops. Yeast was being used at the time, but until Pasteur really, you know, got a look under a microscope at what was going on with yeast, it really wasn't understood as well, even though it was added as an ingredient throughout history. So according to the Germans, inarguably a foremost authority on beer, true beer should only have four ingredients, barley, water, hops, and yeast. So that puts Miller Lite's corn syrup in clear violation of the Reinheitsgebot. Point to Bud Light, right? Well, not so much. You see, Bud Light also pumps an impurity into its beer using rice as an ingredient, meaning that its attack on Miller Lite is hypocritical at best, but it gets sillier. In the weeks that followed the ad's launch, Budweiser tried to spin its campaign as a public service announcement of sorts. They touted it as beverage transparency. And in doing so, they were playing on consumers' fears of another substance, high fructose corn syrup, which is a more refined, higher octane version used to sweeten sodas and snacks. But in fact, the dextrose sugars extracted from corn from Miller Lite's beers are chemically identical to the dextrose sugars that Bud Light extracts from rice and uses in its beer. So finally, that leaves the question of... Whether it comes from corn or rice, 
Why are all these big macro brewers adding sugar to their beers? Really, beer is the process of fermenting sugars and turning that into carbon dioxide and alcohol. You mash the grains, usually around 150, 158 degrees, somewhere in that range, and that converts the starches to fermentable sugars. Then you boil it, add some bittering hops, then later in the process you add hops for aroma and flavor, then you chill it quickly, and then you add your yeast. Fermentation usually takes anywhere from one week for ales up to, you know, if you do a lager, it's a slower, colder ferment, but then the process of lagering, you know, can last months and months. And so why then would anybody want to add corn syrup or any other additives to beer? Corn syrup would help provide food for the yeast, provide those fermentable sugars without adding much in the way of flavor and without adding much in the way of body. So you can get a drier beer that way by using uh, corn syrup. You know, listening to you talk about this process, it's it's like listening to Willy Wonka describe making chocolate. It, it's, it's pure magic. Um, but essentially what you're saying is these little yeast critters eat up all the sugar in this mass of hops and water and grain, and then they poop it out as booze and CO2. Yeah, pretty much. And so whether these sugar additives are derived from corn syrup, as in the case with Miller Lite, or derived from rice, as is the case with Bud Light, whatever additive is used in the brewing process isn't even in the finished product, right? Not in its original form. Like, uh, to say that corn syrup is in the final beer is not true to my understanding. So there you go. A corn syrup smear campaign fueled by hypocrisy, ambiguity, and a level of inaccuracy worthy of politifact. And in fact, in the days that followed, the National Corn Growers Association found themselves embroiled in what was essentially a strategic political offensive. Here's Neil Kasky again. You know, clearly, and the courts have kind of um, reinforced this as well, but it, it was misleading. And I don't think anyone that saw it, they may have laughed, um, but once you kind of really think about what they were trying to convey was that corn syrup is, is something that it's not. So, you know, we were, I think we were all kind of shocked because of how um, misleading it was. And we felt obligated to, to call them out on that. And it would have been really easy. Dusty, you work with nonprofits and, and you know how, you know, sometimes they can be slow to move and act. Um, but when you're dealing in a, a, an event that is unlike any other, and that's the Super Bowl, where I mean, you have you know, a window of time that, you know, unless I guess it goes into overtime and double overtime, but, you know, you have four quarters. And so we didn't really have a lot of time to kind of focus group anything or, you know, see kind of attitudinally what people thought. You know, we just felt like this was the right thing to do. Uh, our farmers were already starting to speak out in their own way on social media. And we just kind of, you know, in many ways, we were just following their lead, to be honest. So while Neil and his corn farmers team were calibrating their response on the night of the Super Bowl ad, gathered together in Denver for an unrelated meeting the next day, Molson Coors Chief Communications Officer Adam Collins and his team were coordinating their own clapback on behalf of their brands Miller Lite and Coors Lite. And when the opportunity to partner with the corn growers arose, it was too good to pass up. It wasn't just that they attacked us, they attacked corn farmers, they attacked an American ingredient. I mean, who, who, who attacks American farmers? I, 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 it boggles the mind. It seems counterproductive. <laughs> well, yes, that's a nice way to put it. I, you know, I would say it's, uh, it's, it was as bizarre as it was brutal. So, you know, we had 
uh, corporate tweet, much like the corn growers did, uh, that we fired off uh, really quickly. We didn't actually think they were going to go to the full extent as aggressive as, as they possibly could, but that's what they did. And we were trying to plan over the course of the night, what are, what are we going to do tomorrow? How, how do we think about this? And that's when we got connected up with Neil. And uh, turns out, as I found out from Neil, that the corn growers are in Denver, which is John alluded to earlier, is a, is a few minutes away from Golden, Colorado, which is the largest brewery in uh, in the United States where they brew Coors Light and Coors Banquet and a lot of other really wonderful beers. So I went into the office. Neil had been there for three months. I'd been in the office. I'd been on my job for six weeks. Very new. Don't really know what the boundaries are of what you should and shouldn't ask for. So I went into my office and asked my boss. I said, hey, um, the corn growers are, are in Denver. Do you think we could get Pete Coors to drive over to their meeting in a giant beer truck and hand deliver a whole bunch of beer? And that was awesome. Yeah, yeah it was. It was. <laughs> the answer was yes, we can definitely do that. And so we did. And it was the start of a, of a really great partnership. You know, there's an old adage that beer brings people together. And in, in this case, Neil and I were talking. I said, well, do you guys want to go visit the brewery in Golden? It's right up the road. So we can do that. Um, so we sent them up with a brewery tour. And I think you all had some beers in the... Bill's bar and Bill's got a cool t-shirt. Yeah. Neil's got, (laughs) Neil's got the t-shirt on there and it really blossomed pretty quickly from there. You know, if you look at what, at what took place over the, over the following weeks, every day we were on the phone trying to figure out what, you know, what we, what we would do next. I mean, cause you can look back now and, and, and like I said, chuckle about it, but the reality is in that moment, it's an existential crisis for our brands. And I know, I know, you know, the corn growers felt similarly for their organization and for their members. As Bud Light bungled further into its attack on the blue-collar working roots of its base in corn country, launching multiple new primetime ads in the weeks that followed, Adam and Molson Coors capitalized on the mistake, throwing themselves into an all-out charm offensive on behalf of Coors Light and Miller Light. We put up billboards, literally billboards across the country that said... Coors Light had the famous Coors Light Rocky Mountains over a cornfield and said, you know, we're part of our ingredients and in the, in the farmers who grow them. We wanted to take this as a moment and figure out how do we sort of turn it on its head? I mean, beer is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be positive. Like I said, it's supposed to be something that brings people together. And so how do we take the ugliness of that moment and find a way to try to turn something and do something good uh, with it? We didn't know whether we should accelerate or decelerate this thing. And so, and then we, you, know, you guys came up with this awesome idea. You launched it in an incredible way. <laughs> if I'm being honest, as a fan of pop culture, as a marketer, that was pretty awesome, Adam. Yeah. Uh, the, the Toast of Farmers was was really a huge moment for us and, and one of my favorite moments, I mean, it really in this whole thing. We actually had the Brothers Osborne announce that we were doing this during the Grammys, which was which was pretty cool. It's crazy. It is crazy. And seven days after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Seven days after the Super Bowl. And, you know, it was so amazing to me. So Neil and I uh, worked together and we had, you know, I had this big ideas, you know, how these things go. I said, well, we're going to try to do this as, as set it up in as many communities as we possibly can. And we'll get our local distributor and maybe we'll get someone from the NCGA. We'll try to have people from the company out in as many markets and many places as we can. But, you know, going in into these things, you don't actually know how many people are going to show up, you know, how many people will talk about it on, on social media, you know, which was really the idea. So the idea was there was a day, go out buy a Coors Light, have a Coors Light, literally raise your glass to farmers across America. That was that was the concept, right? And we pushed it and the response was absolutely amazing. So um, Gavin, who's our CEO, uh, and I went to uh, Des Moines, Iowa, 
uh, where we met up with our distributor, who's Mike Brewington, appropriately named, uh, and and Craig, uh, who heads up the Iowa uh, corn growers. And we went to three bars, I think, out there. We had uh, Coors Lights. There were farmers. There was literally farmers who drove three hours to come be there uh, with us. Wow. And it was fantastic. I mean, I, w- I remember we went into a place, the, f- the first place we went to, which was my personal favorite of the of the stop was the Hitchin Post. Uh, and it was jammed with people uh, in there to literally raise a Coors Light to farmers. And then getting in the car, getting uh, to go home. And you look online, you look on Twitter, and there are pictures of people doing this in Nebraska and in Kansas and in Wisconsin and in Illinois and Ohio and in Indiana. My favorite picture, there is about 60 people in a bar in Baltimore, Maryland, toasting farmers in in an urban center, raising a glass of beer, toasting farmers. And to me, that said, we're we're onto something here. People want to be brought together. People want something positive. They don't want ugliness. They don't want this fight. Working together in the weeks that followed, the National Corn Growers and Miller Coors hit back strategically. There was a flurry of media appearances, they swapped talking points, and teamed up for a social media beatdown on Bud Light's family of brands. And working together, they tried to set the record straight on the facts behind macro beer brewing. Miller Coors, you know, found a better way, and that uh, instead of, you know, just trashing, you know, some of the, the products of the farm like, like AB did, I mean, they, they lifted up the farmer took the, the proverbial high road. And I think you, know, you could you could talk to anyone at the Miller Coors and, and they'll tell you that that was a strategy that, that worked for them. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of cool. I, I mentioned Kamaya Classic and you know, there were those of us that were in the trenches kind of fighting uh, that battle. Um, but those of us that were in, in the middle of that, you know, kind of wrestled with uh, at times, you know, whether it was a good or bad thing. So kind of entered into the fray that what we did, believe it or not. And, and uh, a lot of that, I'll tell you, was, was put to rest during our banquet at Kamai Classic. So this is when we kind of celebrate our, our members, we celebrate our state, we celebrate the people that are doing great things uh, on behalf of corn farmers. And so uh, we elected to give the first ever Friend of the Corn Farmer Award to the Coors family for boldly standing up uh, with us when we needed a friend. And uh, David Coors, um, Pete's son, uh, was there to accept that award, and he got not one but two standing ovations from the 1,500 members that were in attendance for that banquet. And you know that, for someone that was kind of wrestling with whether this was a good or bad thing, you know that was a a clear indication to me that that yeah, we were probably on on the right path. About a month after the Super Bowl, Miller hit back with its own high-production value ad, imagining the actor who works inside the Bud Knight suit of armor going back to his tent and enjoying a Miller. It was a snappy comeback, and it must have been pulled together on a moment's notice, given the time frame. And of course, Bud Light hit back, doubling down on the strategy. But at the same time, the real fireworks moved out of the limelight and into the courtroom. A brewing battle between Miller Coors and Bud Light. Now, the company is now suing Anheuser-Busch over... Miller Coors sued Bud Light for defamation. And I quote, Under the guise of transparency, Anheuser-Busch singled out Miller Coors' use of a common fermentation aid for a deliberate and nefarious purpose. The suit goes on to note that AB uses that same corn syrup in a number of its brews, including such college hangover staples as Bush, Natty Light, and Bud Ice. 
and that Bud even uses high fructose corn syrup, that devil's juice itself, in some beverage called Maddy Rush Mountain Madness. Can I just pause for a moment? What is going on in AB's marketing department? Good lord. Anyway, the lawsuit was a success. Backed by supporters, including the corn growers, Miller Coors took home an early win in May and then notched a bigger victory in September. You'd hope that a company of that size wouldn't strike out to intentionally mislead consumers uh, across America, which is you know, what I believe and what we believe they did. We're proud that the, the courts have ruled in our favor, I think, four times now. Not that I'm counting, you know, but they were they were forced to take down some of the billboards. I mean, Anheuser Busch had Bud Light had billboards that married up with their campaign. They had um, no corn syrup printed on their packaging, so if you went to the store to buy it, it was on their Bud Light packaging. So they were forced by the courts to change their packaging. They were forced by the courts to take down some of their billboards. They were forced by the courts to remove some of the TV ads that they had been running. Now, by way of update, Anheuser-Busch did go on to win an appeal in one of its court cases. But after being forced to comply with earlier rulings and continuing for some time to publicly tout its corn-free ingredients list, it's worth noting that they quietly backed away from the strategy throughout the year 2020. And while they likely sunk millions of dollars in legal fees into waging their corn syrup war in court, those cynics among us could point to the PR blowback and say, hey, it got people talking about Bud Light at least. But Neil Kasky? He agrees with me that this one probably still smarts in the Anheuser-Busch C-suite. I would like to think that if AB could uh, do it over again, they would pick a different path, I hope. (laughs) What's crazy to me about it is just how much the whole argument really came to resemble like a really dysfunctional political campaign. Is that just the way that we communicate with each other these days? Or do you think that political mudslinging is an effective communication strategy in 2019? Boy, I I sure hope not. (laughs) You know, as a, as a father of of two daughters, you know, that makes me sick at my stomach. I I will say this, um, what was interesting is, you know, how they be interacted with us in the days that followed to kind of frame this in somewhat of a political context. I mean, our, our interactions with them were uh, through their government affairs office, you know, completely, I mean, wonderful people, um, well-intended people that had absolutely nothing to do with this ad. Unfortunately, they were just, you know, assigned to uh, clean up on, on aisle seven. You know, they said, hey, never once did we think about how corn farmers would react to this. And please don't think that we set out to offend you. And I believe that. I'm betting that uh, the, the folks that we met with would love to get a, a mulligan on that one, but they're, they're different than, than the ones that are in the, the marketing department. From a broad communications industry perspective here, what's the moral to this story? Is there a moral or is communications really just a free for all in this day and age and anyone can fling whatever they want at the wall and just see what sticks? Yeah, I, I guess in, in the broad sense, it's just be honest. I understand the need to differentiate, but when you you do that in a very dishonest and misleading way, it's going to come back to bite you. What about for you, Neil? What's the moral of the story here as a a young communicator just settling into your VP role with an organization like this? You came out on top here and, and you noted it was because you had the support of the executive team to go out and do what had to be done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are two factors that I, I can't underscore enough, Dusty, and and one is just the 
uncommonly high tolerance for risk that my boss, John Doggett, and our board had and, and the trust that they placed in us to represent them well uh, and do it in a timely manner. And to have that kind of support and backing uh, is incredible. I think that that's one part of it. I, I would say that, that the biggest part is just how lucky uh, we were uh, every step along the way. We were lucky that our meeting took place in Denver. And so I would just say, you know, when you got something like incredibly good luck and just uncommonly high tolerance for risk, you know, you can do a lot of good. You can take something sticky like corn syrup and make something sweet like beer out of it. John Doggett, the Corn Growers CEO, actually just retired from the post this month, and we're certainly going to miss working with him. But he says that Neil's willingness to step into the fray and his ability to think on his feet were early signs that they would enjoy working together. What could have been a really bad deal became a really pretty good deal. You know, the board uh, had a discussion a couple weeks before the Super Bowl, and one of our board members said, you know, it'd just be great if we could have an ad at the Super Bowl. And of course, you know, uh, the finance committee chairman uh, jumped up and said, well, we can't do that. But you know what? We had an ad at the Super Bowl and it wasn't our ad, but it became our ad. And Kevin Ross, NCGA member and past president, says that from a PR perspective, Anheuser-Busch still has to contend with some ruffled feathers in farm country, even three years later. And farmers understand, you know, who stood up for them and who certainly, um, who stood against them. And I think that's, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, Kyle, we've reached the point in the episode where we have to adjudicate uh, the Bud Light corn syrup campaign, success or failure. We've been over why it's such a disingenuous campaign. We've covered the blowback from the farmers, the months-long legal battle. But at the end of the day, this campaign did get a lot of attention. Bud Light got a lot of airtime over this. So let's go to the scoreboard. Was this a win for Bud Light or a loss? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, on the whole, there's they've done the research. They're very good at doing market research. I feel they got to know something. You know, when I was looking at their website, even on the ingredients, when I looked at it, it's only ingredients that come from the earth. Corn also comes from the earth. I think they're hinting at that it's processed. Mm-hmm. Well, all okay. beer is processed. It's kind of one of those where they're, they're playing and dancing around, you know, some semantics of words. And I think they're trying to just still capture and separate themselves in some sort of way, they got to have a reason to do it. But when you look through their, their claims of what their ingredients are, you know, they're talking about, you know, rice, it's a cereal grain. Corn is also a grain, you know, it's gluten-free and so is corn. They're kind of calling out one half of the truth and letting this gap my guess is they're trying to hope that people fill in that gap maybe with with something negative with something negative against Miller but it's really all the same thing you know biased as someone who has historically drinking Miller i would say overall i think it's a loss because i think the people who it angered or bothered or even just the negative news and then people picked up on it i think that lasts longer i also think this is going to be one of those kind of case studies kids learn about 
So in five years, kids sitting down in marketing 101 in college, they're going to learn about how not to go about a campaign and the financial and legal blowbacks and risk assessment and one of those immaterial but impactful notches against Budweiser. I think you're right because at the end of the day, they've alienated one of their core constituencies. Let's face it, farmers driving on tractors probably drink a few Budweiser's here and there. And they ticked those people off, uh, got themselves slapped with a lawsuit along the way and, and caught a fair amount of uh, bad press. But more than anything, I'm left scratching my head as to why Budweiser is pushing this notion of beer transparency, of we're trying to tell people what's in their beer and it's corn syrup. And by the way, corn syrup is a bad thing because I believe that Bud Light drinkers don't care about corn syrup. And I believe that people that have worries about corn syrup are not Bud Light drinkers. You know, to your point, if you're health conscious, just don't drink beer. That's probably <laughs> not like, if your question is how many Miller Lights can I drink to stay on my diet? No, just, just know what you're about to go do. You're going to go just drink a bunch of alcohol, which is carbs. And that's fine. Just enjoy it. If you're going to drink beer, just enjoy it. In a lot of ways, Kyle's words harken back to a simpler time in beer advertising. A time when you didn't tout your calorie count or scrutinize your opponent's ingredients label. A time when the ads just showed beautiful people having fun. They didn't borrow all the worst tactics from the world of political attack ads. Bud Light is the face of the world's largest beer empire. They didn't just come out swinging, they punched down. And if there's a lesson that we've learned from the world of politics, it's that that's a bad look. Because, and I keep coming back to this on the show, people love to root for an underdog when it's the big guy who picks the fight. Thanks to Neil Kasky from the National Corn Growers Association for sharing his story, and Paul Gatza from the Brewers Association for his insights. I'll raise my glass as well to Adam Collins from Molson Coors, retiring corn grower CEO John Doggett, and NCGA past president Kevin Ross. And thanks, of course, to Kyle Brown for sharing a beer and some stories with me at my basement bar. I'm certainly obligated here to point out that I did invite Anheuser-Busch to share their perspective on the show, and they still have not gotten back to me. Oh, they were busy? Yeah, weird. Oh. <laughs> On Lead Balloon, we are typically putting out new shows at least once a month. So if you haven't yet, please follow us in your favorite podcast app. We'll be back with new episodes in 2023. But if there's another episode from the archive that you want to hear updated and remastered, let me know which one that is in the comments. And by the way, if you have never gone back and revisited a piece of work that you did years before, let me just say this. It is a humbling but rewarding process to see how far you've come in that time. This version is truly the episode that I wanted to make three years ago. I just didn't have the chops or the connections yet to do it. So for those of you who have been with us since the start, thanks for sticking with me through that. For those of you just joining us, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Bud Balloon is produced by PodCamp Media, where we provide branded podcast production solutions for businesses. Check out our website, podcampmedia.com, or find us on social, where I share video snippets, behind-the-scenes footage, and cute pictures of my kids. You know, it's hilarious. When this episode dropped, I only had one of those. Nowadays, we've got three. 
been a busy three years. Anyway, until the next time, folks, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss. (laughs) 